Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. This week, we're going to be talking about child safety policy and legislation in the United States. This follows dramatic scenes last week at the Senate's Judiciary Committee, where top social media executives gave evidence. At one point, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram, turned around to the families who are sitting behind him, the families of victims, to say, I'm sorry for everything you've all gone through. It's terrible. No one should have to go through the things that your families have suffered. But despite the sound and the fury and the apologies, do we expect anything to actually change? Will Congress pass online safety legislation? Will it pass child protection legislation in the coming months and years? My name is Conan Darcy, Senior Practice Director at Global Council, and joining me today to help try and answer some of those questions is Agonma Wankwo, a Senior Associate in GC's Washington, D.C. office. So Agonma, thanks very much for joining me on today's podcast. Can you just start off by talking us through what happened at the Senate? I've stolen some of the, some of the best bits in my introduction there, but just talk us through those dramatic scenes. Yes, thank you, Conan. So this was definitely one of the more dramatic hearings with tech leaders that I've personally seen. So I think that in many ways, the dramatics actually began before the hearing even started. So while Meta and TikTok both voluntarily agreed to testify before the Judiciary Committee, Snap, X and Discord had to be subpoenaed. And apparently that process took weeks We saw Democratic Senator Dick Durbin, who was actually the chair of the committee, say in his opening remarks that Discord CEO, quote, only accepted service of his subpoena after U.S. marshals were sent to Discord's headquarters at taxpayers' expense, end quote. So from the get-go, viewers were in for quite a show. And there are a few dramatic scenes that really stood out to me during the hearing because I've never seen anything like it. So the first isn't so much a specific scene as it is the positioning and behavior of a group of survivors and survivors' families who were sat behind the CEOs and they were holding up photos of people they, they knew that had lost their lives. So their emotional reactions range from applause and laughter to hisses and deafening silences. And their presence was very central to the discussion and in many ways brought a sense of urgency to the issues at hand. So the argument could certainly been made could certainly be made that their presence actually escalated the tensions between the lawmakers and CEOs, which leads me to two other dramatic scenes. And of course, you mentioned this already in your in your introduction, but we saw Mark Zuckerberg and Evan Spiegel both apologize to the families affected by the platforms, whereas Spiegel, who is the CEO of Snap, remained seated while he apologized for the company not being able to prevent the drug trafficking and sale-related strategies. Zuckerberg, who I should mention was actually aggressively pressured by Senator Hawley, you know, stood up and turned around to face families and, and, and apologized. And that was really an incredible moment. And I think that I actually sent you a screenshot of it as it was happening. Yeah, it was just just dramatic to see. And it's it got picked up everywhere. So when I was just trying to research earlier today exactly what Mark Zuckerberg said, it didn't take long for a quick Google before you were able to find the quotes as every international publication was following it very clearly. But interestingly though, Agonma, we've you said, fine, this was more dramatic than most. We've 
there were there was a particular element of of theater almost about how it was how it was conceived and how it was designed as a as a hearing but we have seen other grillings in recent years that have been pretty uncomfortable for tech CEOs and Mark Zuckerberg's not the first time he's had uncomfortable scenes in in Congress particularly after the Cambridge Analytica scandal so just to talk us through how how did this compare why was this different necessarily was it just the presence of the victims and victims' families? Was it something else uh, compared to previous grillings? The presence of the families was a key sort of differentiating factor. The public apology that apology that was issued is a key development that really sets its hearing apart from some of the past hearings that we've seen. But I think that if we're looking at Meta in particular, this hearing was also an accumulation of all the past hearings coupled with the fact that there is probably just more information out there about the harms that are associated with Facebook and Instagram, right? So there has been quite, a, there have been quite a few leaked internal documents over the years from Facebook whistleblowers, most notably, of course, Francis Haugen, but also Meta's currently facing several lawsuits from state attorney generals across the U.S. And so as a result of these lawsuits, a lot of information has come out in the discovery phase. 41 states in Washington, D.C. have actually sued Meta, basically alleging that the company harms younger users by building addictive features into Instagram and Facebook. Also, hours before the hearing even began, the Senate Judiciary Committee released internal emails from Meta that they received from 2021, which showed senior executive asking Zuckerberg to hire more people to strengthen the wellness across the company as concerns grew about the effects on youth mental health. And the emails don't appear to include a response from from Zuckerberg if there was any response at all. And so because of these factors and public information, I would say that Zuckerberg received most of the heat from the senators because they had tangible evidence to work off. And so they really zeroed in on him. But I think that in doing so, other platforms such as Discord and Snap sort of left the hearing comparatively unscathed. And I'm in no position to say whether or not that was the right call, but that is what ended up happening. And there were some other uncomfortable moments at the hearing where TikTok's CEO was repeatedly asked whether he was a member of the Chinese Communist Party, to which he was rebutting that he was a Singaporean citizen, which was certainly pretty awkward when you when you look back at it on some of the social media clippings. But one thing when you well, when you talk to some of former legislators and former regulators in Washington DC and you say, What is gonna move the dial on US tech regulation? What's actually gonna get a bill through Congress? And the response you'll often get is, well, you've got to start with children. That is the most emotive issue. That is the one that people get most exercised about. And if you can build a coalition there with children's safety groups and so on and so forth, you've got a chance that you might be able to pass something. So given we've had this high-profile media moment as much as anything, it's obviously a high-profile political moment, and you take that assessment, that analysis that people would would give you typically in these sorts of conversations in the US. Does that mean that in the wake of the hearing, prospects for passing legislation on children's safety or indeed on children's privacy are actually rising and now quite high? Yeah, so I think that that assessment broadly is correct. Children's 
focused legislation is sort of viewed as low-hanging fruit. And during the hearing, a few children's focus bills were actually discussed, and these bills are actually being presented as a package deal of sorts. There's actually five of them in the package, only four of them were uh, discussed during the hearing. And these bills, and these are bills that have all successfully passed out of the Senate committees with bipartisan support, but have yet to progress to the Senate floor for for a vote. And these bills under consideration include the Children Teen Children and Teens Online Privacy Act, also known as COPPA 2.0, the Kids Online Safety Act, the Erna Act, the Stop CSAM Act, and the Shield Act. So at a high level, there aren't any concrete next steps for the package of bills discussed during the hearing, but as you mentioned, these bills will nonetheless receive renewed attention, both from lawmakers as well as industry and civil society. Senator Dick Durbin, who is the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, acknowledged that the Senate would need to act before the end of July before because of the limited legislative window in an election year, right, which leaves very little room to get any of the bills to the floor for votes. And I guess whether they do or don't is sort of the million dollar question right now. Now, in my view, lawmakers are unlikely to get a children's focus bill over the finish line, whether it's more focused on privacy or online safety or platform liability. There are multiple competing priorities. It's an election year. Most of the bills are still receiving pushback from industry, civil society, and even other lawmakers for a range of reasons, including concerns about potential privacy violations. And there would have to be a major window of opportunity in order for lawmakers to succeed. And this is a sentiment that I'm seeing echoed in the conversations with people that I'm having in D.C. And also, some of the five bills were originally authored years ago. The EARNA Act immediately comes to mind. It has sort of just flailed over the past three Congresses, despite moving past the committee stage. So an interesting dynamic that I think came through during the hearing was this acknowledgement among multiple lawmakers that the tech industry alone isn't to blame for the current situation that we're in concerning social media and children. But I will say that something remarkable did happen during the hearing and in the week leading up to the hearing. So basically in a week prior to the hearing, Snap became the first company to break rank by expressing support for the Kids Online Safety Act, which is one of the bills that seeks to stop platforms from recommending harmful material to children, among other measures. Ex-CEO Linda Yacarina also expressed support for this bill, as well as the Stop CSAM Act, which would essentially modify Section 2. 230 of the Communications Decency Act, enabling victims of online child sexual exploitation to sue platforms that distributed such content. And of course, it's significant because although NetChoice, which is a national trade association for tech businesses such as Meta and Google, continues to oppose these legislative proposals, we could very well see additional companies continue to diverge and support specific bills. And this is major news to have industry expressing support for some of these bills, but Despite all of this, there was still this reluctance from CEOs to endorse all five bills in the package. Discord CEO in particular appeared reluctant to fully back the Stop CSAM Act and the Earn It Act, although he did acknowledge the need for updates to Section 230. So to answer your question simply, 
lots of momentum, lots of activity, unlikely to get over the finish line unless a, a window of opportunity suddenly arises. Right. So moving, things are thawing, uh, but we haven't quite got that that tidal wave of momentum to to sweep us through to a new federal piece of legislation, which takes us back to a familiar place, Agoma, which is what's the executive going to do? We've seen them, uh, the Biden administration being very, very active on AI. And we've discussed a few times the executive order or executive orders that the administration have issued uh, in that regard. So is activity on child safety from the administration similar? Are we seeing much that they are doing in this space or are they deferring to Congress? That's a, that's a great question, Conan. And I don't, don't think that we are likely to see an executive order in the same way that we saw with the AI Act. But there are certain things that particular agencies are doing that I think the company should pay attention to pay attention to. So first, the Department of Health and Human Services in partnership with the Commerce Department will actually lead an interagency task force on kids online safety to advance the health, safety and privacy of minors with particular attention to sort of preventing and mitigating the negative health effects of online platforms on minors. So among other things, the task force will identify recurrence and emerging risk of harm to minors associated with online platforms, as well as the potential health benefits of using online platforms. Now, sometime this spring, the task force will have developed voluntary guidance, policy recommendations, and a toolkit on safety, health, and privacy by design for companies developing digital products and services that could impact children. So this is definitely something industry should be on the lookout for. And of course, I'll be tracking it as well. I don't think that a a date has been set for the spring yet, but it's imminent. Uh, Second, the Federal Trade Commission has proposed significant changes to the Federal Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule, also known as the COPPA Rule, which was put in place in 2000. So if this is finalized, online services will face new limitations on how they collect, use, and share children's data and would have to rethink their advertising practices and how they monetize children's data. Now, in January, the agency actually published a notice of proposed rulemaking formally signaling to the public that it wants to make changes to the COPPA rule. And now the FTC is seeking public comments on these proposed changes and will do so until mid-March of this year. So the FTC actually initiated this latest review of the COPPA rule back in 2019 and received more than 175,000 comments on its request for public comments on whether changes were needed to the rule. And the agency also held a workshop that same year on whether to update the COPPA rule in light of evolving business practices in the online children's marketplace. So the proposed changes that we're seeing now are based on the FTC's review of 2019 public comments and its enforcement experience more broadly. And so this is a major space for businesses who deal with children's data to watch, and it falls very much within the agency's sort of statutory authority. But the reality is that we probably won't see a final rule this year because rulemaking takes time, but also we could see some significant changes at the agency, which could further delay things. So for example, Lena Khan's term is set to expire this September, and it's unclear what might happen with her position, particularly, particularly if there's a change in administration. Yeah, a lot of hinging on what happens at the election, both in the sort of Congress that is returned and whether there will be 
a renewed impetus around what you described earlier for legislation at a federal level, but then also in some of the federal level appointments, most obviously Lena Khan, but not exclusively just her. So in the absence of federal laws, let's say we sound a little bit pessimistic at the moment. So I think we're probably looking at you know, nothing necessarily in the next 12 to 18, maybe the next 12 to 24 months, or at least very unlikely to be anything. Um, so in the absence of federal laws, let's turn to the states, because often as we've talked about with uh, overarching privacy rules or when we've talked about AI or other areas, it's the states which are really sort of forging ahead in different ways. So which of those should we be paying attention to when it comes to online safety of children? Yes. So as tends to be the trend in the US on tech legislation, states are leading the charge on issues related to social media and children. I believe that 30 states so far have pending legislation in 2024, and these bills fall broadly into four buckets. So first, you have bills that are focusing on creating task forces and commissions to study the issue. Second, you have bills that are aimed at establishing age-appropriate design codes and requiring impact assessments. Now, third, you have bills focused on requiring age verification or parental consent to open social media accounts. And lastly, you have the bills that are focused on adding digital media literacy courses to schools. And now we are sort of at the stage where states are mirroring what other states have done successfully. But Sorry to be a pessimist again. It's not entirely smooth sailing from here. Even though states are leading the charge in lieu of congressional action, state laws that have been enacted are increasingly facing legal challenges. So, for example, federal judges temporarily blocked the children's safety laws in both California and Arkansas. In the California case, the judge found that the trade association NetChoice is likely to succeed in its claim that the California age-appropriate design code violates the First Amendment. And so the court issued a preliminary injunction, which blocks the law from going into effect until the case is resolved. And California has appealed the preliminary injunction to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and basically argued alongside the law supporters that the law doesn't infringe on free speech, claiming that it only affects the choices companies make when designing their products and therefore targets conduct and not speech. So we'll have to see how this plays out. And it's definitely a case to watch since many, in many ways, the California age-appropriate design code served as the catalyst and blueprint for some of these other state laws and bills that are popping up across the nation in states such as Maryland and Minnesota. But interestingly, I think that what we are seeing now is state law state lawmakers working on changes to their bills to make their legislation more resistant to a legal challenge while they await a final ruling in the California case. So this includes things like expanding on key definitions and tightening the impact assessment requirements to address concerns about the law's enforceability and to limit vagueness, which the California law was actually critiqued for. We're also seeing some draft bills include provisions specifying that if part of the bills are blocked or rejected in court, the rest would still stand. In the California case, Net Choices argue that if any of the law's provisions are struck down, that the entire law should be voided because it is impossible to separate the provisions that likely violate the First Amendment from the rest of the law. And this is all to say that 
states also have a very complicated road ahead as they navigate industry pushback and legal challenges and concerns from advocacy groups around the collection of children's data. And I think that in many ways, the California case could ultimately decide the fate of bills that have mirrored the California approach. And even then, more broadly, if these laws that are being challenged in the courts end up being permanently struck down, it could very well dampen state-level efforts to expand online protections for children. But I'm not actually too surprised that these laws are being challenged. I think that the prospect of having to comply with varying state laws that have differing requirements sort of alarm tech firms, and they'd rather see a national standard of sorts rather than a patchwork of state laws, meaning that you know, children in different states would have very different online experiences. I guess the question is, when do we reach that tipping point? I suppose it's not now. We need to see how the California case plays out in the courts. Should we find that California is successful or the legislation is rewritten and they follow the example of other states in making the legislation more durable to a to a legal challenge, then it you could find that dynamic you're talking about where tech companies openly start advocating for federal level laws could start happening a little bit more actively and a little bit more seriously should those state level laws come into place. And indeed, particularly if they start contradicting each other or at least making compliance difficult across different states. Well, thank you for taking me through that. And thank you for taking listeners through that today. Obviously, if anyone who's listened to today's podcast would like to pick up the conversation with Agoma or the other colleagues that are following this issue closely in our Washington DC office, you can find our details in the podcast notes, or you can go on GC's website, which is www.global-council.com. Thanks for joining us. And hopefully you'll join us for next week's episode. Bye-bye.